Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. We are live and starting the podcast. Welcome to the Vin and Ali show. <laughs> There's something we have to address immediately. Mm. The title of this book requires us to swear. Now, we have to make the choice right at the start, Ali. Do we swear or do we replace that word with another word so that we can say it freely? Because I know there are, there are some young people who listen to us and I don't want to be a bad influence, etc. What, what do you reckon we should do? We're kind of making this decision live on on this podcast. This definitely could have been something that we discussed prior to going live. I do like been, that we're doing that I, I didn't right want now. To. I didn't want to. I want to do it right now. Well, it's a great what exercise. Like, what, what do we replace that yeah. word with? What came well, to I, your I mind? Was, I was thinking, well, my son's really into animals. You know, Xander loves animals. <laughs> and I thought the, the classic go-to could be duck. All right, right. Done. Do you reckon we just do that? Just keep it kind of PG? Keep it friendly? Let's go duck. We, we generally keep it pretty clean. Okay. So why not? All right. Well, welcome to the Vin and Ali show, everyone. Once again, as we begin properly. <laughs> The book we're reviewing this week is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Duck. I bet you I'm going to say it wrong and actually swear at some point. So again, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Duck is written by Mark Manson. And just quickly from the top, I'd love your point of view in a second. But for me, reading this book was fun. It, mm. There was some, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but it was, there was something fun about reading a book with a lot of swear words in it. It's like, oh, it's so naughty. It's like things you're not allowed to do. And, and he's just swearing all throughout the book. And it's just, I found it humorous. I, I laughed at many points, which I really do for books. How did you find Yeah, that? I agree. I think that's what, one of the things that we spoke about the other week, right? Is I remember reading this book, I think in it was maybe five, six years ago. And I actually yeah. found my old iBooks version of the book. And it was probably one of the only books where I've got little highlights where it's just simply ha-ha as the note or <laughs> like a laughing emoji, which I can't really remember yeah, yeah. doing in, call it a non-fiction, professional, personal development type of book before. So very, I think, humorous writing style. I'm guessing probably a pretty polarizing writing style as well, just because of the way that he operates. But um <laughs> I I'd put my hand up saying that I laughed multiple times, even on the reread well, of this one. Well, let, let me let me give everyone a bit of a taste of a passage that made me write LOL <laughs> and you know L M A F O right, yeah. laughing my ass off. Mm -hmm. It's I think I just totally said the acronym wrong. But for example, it's something like this: We feel bad about feeling bad. We feel guilty for feeling guilty. We get angry about getting angry. We get anxious about feeling anxious. What is wrong with me? This is why not giving a duck is so key. This is why it's not going to save the world. And it's going to save it by accepting that the world is totally ducked up. And that's all right. Because it's always been that way and it always will be. It's just, you know, the way he writes is, I think what makes it funny is the blatant truthful yeah. aspect of what he's saying. 
how a lot of the times, either in society, we sugarcoat stuff or we we don't talk to the truth. We kind of beat around the bush. Whereas I find mm. that he's just punching the truth in the face. Yeah, he's definitely got a like his version of call it as it is happening all throughout the book, and I think yeah. that's cool. I, I think a lot of the times when we read books, they're they're written probably to please everyone and just a little mm. bit more on the safe side. Whereas, I guess starting from the top, even going with the title. I'm sure that would have been a very interesting conversation with these publishers. <laughs> this is what I want to call the book and this is the line that we're going to go down. So, yeah, I think that, that's pretty cool. I had one that was pretty funny too that made me laugh. He's like, back in grandpa's day, he would feel like shit and think to himself, gee whiz, I feel like a cow turd today. But, hey, I guess that's just life. Back to shoveling, hey, people didn't take their lives and themselves so seriously. I think that's just that's oh, great. that's hilarious. Yeah. So, oh, no. that's hilarious. That's that's good. I like it. Oh, yep. far out. Well, I mean, look, let's get into it. Let's mm-hmm. get stuck into it. Now, with this particular book, what was your first takeaway that you really liked? And and let's let's pull this apart a little and, and have a bit of a chat about it. I think um one of the lines that really aligned with me was just his top line sort of message, which is get clarity on what you want to give a duck about, right? Like that was a big message that stood out that Mm. in life, like a lot of times we end up giving a duck about a lot of things and we don't really maybe think about it, you know, with too much depth. And we Mm. always speak about this too around getting clarity and getting alignment and finding, call it, you know, our version of whatever the truth is in that moment. And I think this book presents that in a really unique way, um, which Mm. was pretty cool. So it was, that was just a big message at at the top of it. It's like, you know, we're all going to care about things and things are going to pop up in our lives, but what is it realistically that we should care about? Um, And which are certain things that maybe we need to stop caring about? as much and using that as a tool to maybe make decisions, how to prioritize. Like I think in one of our other episodes, we did um, one of Derek Sivers books, which is pretty similar to, which is, you know, if it's not a hell yeah, it should be an F no. Mm. Um, so I think that that's a cool little framework. Yeah. And, and what I really liked about it is, is Mark talks about how we have limited number of ducks that we can give every day. Right. There's only there's only a limited number of ducks that we have. I kind of like this whole switching the F word for duck. It's kind of funny. Because think about it. Let, let's say that in a day you've only got 10 ducks and you can only give 10 ducks away per day. And I think a lot of the times we give 10 ducks in the first four hours of our day. Right? Immediately you start the day, something upsets yeah. you, boom, there, you've given a duck away. You've only got nine <laughs> ducks left. And then you, you're in the, on the, in the car and then you're on the way to work. It's a massive traffic jam. Boom, you've just given another six ducks away. <laughs> now you're down to, like, now down to three. So before you even get to work, you've got three ducks left. And to live, I feel, a life that is meaningful and fulfilling, we need to be giving ducks to the situations or people that matter, not just randomly giving them away. Right, yep. I think that 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 randomness causes people a lot of pain without knowing, and then you also feel so tired, you still feel so fatigued, you feel over, you feel like you're overthinking, and you've got no cognitive capacity left to deal with the things that happen in life. And it's For sure. it's just really interesting. Yeah, I, I love that concept too. So then, how do you 
how do you identify if you're giving too many ducks away? I mean, yeah. How do you I always go love, about applying that wisdom? I always love tracking, right? Like if you keep a journal or you have a list there, it would just be as simple as maybe over a week's period of time, listing all the things that you gave a duck about. Where, where did your ducks really go or, or the bigger ducks? And were they sort of nourishing? Were they depleting? Um, were they your duck to really care about? Like, did it deserve that level of bandwidth or energy? Um, and then are there any adjustments that you can make in the way that you operate? Because I think there's usually a couple of different types of things that we care about too, right? Like some are reactive that just get put on our plate. They might not necessarily be the ducks that we want, uh, but they're just given to us and we have to sort of deal with those. Uh, and then there's others where they're proactive and we get to choose what they are. So how do you make those a little bit more impactful? And I think it's just probably a bit of an iteration process. Uh, even the other day we were, we were having a chat and one of, one of the questions that came up was, you know, even when you go and you see like motivational speakers and you see people that are like, you know, just go give things a go and go and change your life and do all these things. Like realistically, how do you actually incorporate that on a practical level? You know, and, and I think the only way that, I've found that it's possible to do that because everyone's got limitations with the amount of time, energy and resource that they've got uh, at their disposal. So maybe that is the way is just having a look, well, can you make a minor adjustment just based on what your current mix is and change that up just a little bit? It's really about, like you said, first becoming aware of where and who you're giving your ducks to. You know, where, where are you sending them? Where, where are you giving them? Because I think that awareness is really important, first of all. Because a lot of the times, I don't think people are aware that they, they give too many ducks. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're just not aware that they're giving too many ducks. And once you start to become more aware, and like you said, that's the power of you tracking your entire life, right? Is you are now, you are so aware where you're placing those ducks. So you, mm. you can check if you're misplacing them and you can see if it's if it's the optimal place for you to put it. Whereas I don't think a lot of people do that, Adelie. I don't think a lot of people track everything in their lives the way you do. So I think for everyone listening, it's important for them to go back to self-awareness. You have to first of all kind of look at your life, recalibrate and go, well, where am I placing all the focus? Hmm. Right. And, yeah. and, and then what I love about the book too is it talks about how if something is pissing you off, then that means it's also in conflict with one of your biggest values. That's why it's pissing you off. The emotion of being angry and upset comes from a conflict with one of our core values. And then what he says is look at the situation, recognize that you're angry, and then check to see which value that clashes with. And then once you check the value, just do another check to see if that value is still serving you. And I, I, I really like that because I've never seen that. Oh, I've never heard someone talk about that sequence like that in terms of emotions come from a conflict in values. And then that next check, which I found really insightful is, well, is that value still serving you? Yeah, I really like that. I love he has a line in the book where he says, you know, who bases their entire lives on their emotions, three-year-olds and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what else three-year-olds and dogs do? Oh, shit, they, shit on, <laughs> they shit on carpets. <laughs> I do love that. I do. That's, that's fantastic. Another classic funny. 
I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's true. It's, it's actually yep. true. Yeah. Um, and I think what you said there, and we, we obviously do a, a fair bit of stuff on values. I also know I forgot the, the notion of emotions and how emotions really underpin our values and our beliefs. And you, you, like, you're, you're a fairly emotionless person. I'm very emotionally in touch. All right. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. This but that's a, fine. Just in a robotic okay. kind of way. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, I think that's really cool because even, even if you are someone that's say doesn't really wear their emotions on their sleeve too much, I think even then there's still a very big likelihood that your behaviors and your actions are still driven by emotions and feelings that you're trying to generate. You know, even if you are very much that a type really stern type of person, I think there's still very, if not maybe even more than somebody who's very emotionally open, they're wearing their emotions on their sleeve in just a completely different way. Usually it's around being protected and closed off or trying to stay very much in a balanced zone, but it's still a way of a feeling or an emotion that's trying to be an emotional state that's trying to be reached. And yeah, the, what came up for you when you were thinking about how feelings and emotions dictate your behaviors and your actions? Well, I mean, back, back to what I shared there before is that for, for me, I started thinking about the moments where I got really upset, right? Because again, it's moments when I am upset, that's, those are the moments I'm giving away some ducks, right? So I thought, okay, when was the last time I felt really upset? And then I, you know, there's a recent thing that's happened in my life where I got scammed, right? So I got scammed and it made me feel really upset. And I, and I started to think to myself, well, why did I get upset? Which value did that clash with? And the value that it clashed with for me was, you know, life should be fair, right? Or it, it's really about, I guess, justice, there should be some justice in the world. People shouldn't just be able to scam you, right? And I thought, okay, well, is that value still serving me? And then when I worked through the process, I kind of went, yeah, well, that value does still serve me because if I hold that value high, it means that when I do business and when I'm in business dealings, I'm not going to scam other people. I'm, I'm going to find the way that's fair. I'm going to find a, a path that's win-win. And therefore, me getting upset over that wasn't necessarily a negative thing because it's a value that's still serving me. Whereas, for example, if I wanted to go out and buy a Lamborghini, for example, and then I checked, let's say, for example, I really gave three ducks because I really want this Lamborghini. Let's say, for example, I check which value that is. And that's a cheap, that's cheap Lambo, just three ducks. That's good. Three ducks, yeah. Well, no, no, maybe maybe half a million ducks. That's that's probably the, the right because it's, it's Australian, yeah, it's a luxury tax. <laughs> so half a million ducks. So yeah. what are you, oh, a billionaire, Vin? No. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets a Lambo at that price. Yeah, every, oh, dude, I'd buy, if it, if it costs three ducks, I'd get every single person in my social circle one. Right. So generous, every single person. Yeah, I'd, bro. I would get one so for fair. every single one of our pod- <laughs> I would get one for every single one of our podcast listeners if it was three ducks. Dude, every, it would be it'd be the Oprah Winfrey version of you get a Lambo, you get a yeah, Lambo, man. you get yeah, yeah. yeah. There's only because, there's only three only, ducks yeah. listening to this, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> 
No, that's nine, dude. Come on. You can't even do basic math. If we've got three listeners to the podcast, that's only nine ducks I have to give. In every, and technically, great marketing campaign because everyone yeah, on true. the Vinan Ali show got a Lambo. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, back to what I was saying. So yeah. I looked at that. Okay, so so that's a situation where I'd give half a million ducks, right? So, you know, say you really wanted this thing. And then the value that's causing me to give so many ducks in that situation is probably the value of me wanting to to appear successful. I feel inadequate. Like I, I want to look successful. I, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I care about status and I'm playing the status game. And then in that sense, when you review it, you go, well, does it serve me playing the status game? Well, not really. Because, you know, we learned this from the last book we read, the last, our last episode of the podcast, which was The Psychology of Money, is when people see you in a cool car, you're sitting in the car thinking, wow, everyone thinks I'm so cool. Look at them dropping their jaws at me. No, 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 Ali. They're not dropping their jaws at you. They're just thinking, wow, that cool's really car. That, that cool's really car. That car's really cool. But the guy sitting in it, what a loser. Look at him. Just <laughs> look at him with his, with his, with his unshaved face and, and his, yeah. his circular yeah, they, You have a great They don't shape. automatically like you, do they? No. Well, no. It's not a, no. And then, and then, but, but, but then taking that thought process through that simple little path of going, where's the emotion arising? Is it negative? Okay. Are too many ducks being given? Okay, cool. Which value does that relate to? Okay, cool. Does that value serve me? It just allows a thinking path or just a path to think through that allows you to really decide, well, am I going to keep this value or am I going to update the value? Because if then you change the value, then you don't give any more ducks, right? You don't, you don't, you don't care anymore. And I think the classic example they used in, in the book that, that Mark talked about was, oh, I can't remember his name. He's, he's the Beatles guy that got kicked out. What was his name? Well, that guy, right? There was, a, there was a band member in the Beatles that got kicked out and then the Beatles became wildly successful. And then he sat there the entire time feeling really shitty about himself. And then he had to go through this process to go, well, what value does this, you know, why am I feeling so shitty? I'm giving so many ducks about the situation. What value is it? Oh, it's because I value fame. I value uh, fortune. And then he changed his values and said, those don't serve me anymore. Instead, I value being there with my kids or being there with my family. I I value now creating memorable mem- moments with my family. And then when he shifted his value, he, he was able to minimize the pain that he felt. And I, I really love that. It's just a nice little simple framework. to. It's almost like a quick audit. For you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great I check. It. I think even for decision-making, like if you and – it, and it takes them. Even we've found this when we've done this process with others – Values is always one of the hardest things to get clarity on. And it's, mm. it's also one of the hardest things to think about. You know, when somebody asks you, oh, why do you do something? Or mm. well, what value of yours? You know, in, there's so many books where they say, if you really want to get to the depth of something, you ask why five times. Now, I've read mm-hmm. that 50 times in different books. Do you know how hard it is to actually do in practice to get to that level of depth? Because your brain automatically yeah. just wants to make the decision on the surface level. It doesn't want to go down through. Hey, let's give it a go. Depth. All right. Let's give it a go. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's give it a go. go. Let's try. Okay. I'll ask you. 
Uh, we'll use your example. Right. Of course, of course, you're asking me. Yeah, I love this, Ali. I always start the show. I always close it out. When there's an example, just throw it to Vin. That's, I see where this is going. I'm giving too many ducks in this situation. Maybe I should check my values. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is your duck giving time. Uh, yeah, thanks, All right. Ali. All right. Which away. one do you want to do? Do you want to do Lamborghini or what's another, or do you want to do the scam? Do you want to do, is there another, or do we look at a different situation that you're looking okay, at let's getting? Let's look at a situation. Let's give a fresh situation. All right. So a moment where I gave a lot of ducks, I would say earlier, earlier last year, I, I had a situation for those who are big fans of the show would know that I, I struggled to buy the Jeep. It was a Jeep that I really wanted. I wanted the Jeep Gladiator. I wanted to build like a full overlanding rig and a camping rig, et cetera. And it took me forever to make that decision, at least six, seven months. And like for six, seven months, months I was giving ducks every day. It's like, oh, should I do it? Oh, should I not do it? Oh, I'm paying. Yeah. So let's use that. Awesome. Beautiful. Yep. So yep. let's mm-hmm. start it with, so why did you want the Jeep? <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're right. It is hard. <laughs> Damn it! Stump first time, first question. Oh, I got, Damn. I got really scared when I asked you why did you want the jeep because then I'm like, am I just going to keep asking him why did he want the jeep over and over again yeah, gonna, until you start crying? I'm gonna, or I'm going to end up selling the jeep now because spoiler alert, I bought it. But okay, okay, all right. So why did I want the jeep? Because I, I wanted to have a car that would help me explore a different side of who I am. Awesome. So that's one. And and I think you've even gone probably a level deeper. Like it, say if you hadn't already gone through this process, it might've yeah, been yeah, like, yeah, yeah, okay. Jeeps are cool. I want a new car, right? Like, so there, there's a variety of it. So say if you start at that surface level. So again, so okay. yep, you wanted, you wanted yep. to, so what did you just say then? You wanted to have, I, you wanted, wanted to explore to a different a side of who you were? Yeah. That's right. Awesome. I, I wanted to um, buy a car that I, I wouldn't usually be drawn to. It, yep, it's like, awesome. you know, when you're trying to create those n- new neuro pathways in your brain, you have to do something yep. that's not typical, something that's not yep. almost predictable, right? Awesome. Yep. So why did you want a car that was a little bit different and would let you explore a different part of yourself? Because I, I wanted to introduce a little more fun back into my life. I felt like everything in my life became too predictable. You know, the predictable car for me to get was maybe going to be another sports car or something, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to get something that was kind of out of left field, yep. right? Again, it was just I, I wanted to try a new experience instead of trying the same experience over and over and over again. Yep. Um, and – why do you think you wanted more fun in your life? Because I wanted to involve my family, right? Because my business is only fun for me. I want, you know, my business is a vehicle for me to have fun, but I guess I wanted another vehicle. And I guess this is literally another vehicle. I wanted an, another vehicle where my family could be a part of this experience and we could share that fun. Yep. And why did you want something unique? Or something that felt a little bit different. Unique. Well, I think the correct question is, why did I want to share fun with my family? That was going to be the next one, but you had two parts okay, okay, in the okay, last okay. one. All right, so right, right. I'll, I'll, I'll answer yours then. All right. I'm going to ask questions. 
I'll let you lead this show. Uh, why did I want something unique? Because I felt like my life was getting a little bit, I felt like it was a bit boring. Yeah. So that makes sense. So that ties in yeah. with fun. And and then yeah. why did you want to do something a little bit different, like a different experience with your family? Because I felt like even in the way we were connecting, it was through repetitive experiences and I wanted to throw something new into the mix so that we could create, so that we could explore or so that we could potentially have the reason I wanted that with my family is that I, I wanted to explore the opportunity of, of sharing a hobby or a passion together. And that was camping. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Like, I think what we did four questions there, maybe five mm-hmm. questions. And even that just as a cool exercise of seeing how you color that picture in mm. around what some of the underlying val- like values were that were driving that. Because mm. I remember when you were going through this process I think yeah. you, when you really did start with the fact that am I just buying a car for the sake of buying a car? That's right. Because right? you're right. And that then, first layer was, oh, it looks cool. Right? Yeah, it looks cool. I just want a jeep. I want something different. I'm a bit bored, right? Like you touched on those things and maybe they are some of, you know, the the initial more surface level things that drew you to that decision. But then I remember even when you went through that process, it didn't take long for you to get down to the point that you wanted to be out in nature. You wanted to spend more time with your family. You wanted a little bit of variety, um. yeah, you wanted to connect it with a passion and a hobby. Then you found, I think, other values that linked to it. And I think it made that purchase decision even, I'm trying to think back, it was a while ago that then yeah. made it a little bit easier, right? So, so I think, yeah. I don't know right. if we were that clear on that, but it's more that when you are weighing up decisions and you're trying to make choices or you're trying to allocate ducks that you're going to give, this type of process, whether you do it with a friend or by yourself or you write it out, it can just help you with confirming whether that's a pathway that you want to prioritize or not. And mm. like you said, with the other one, maybe with, with the sports car or whatever else, it's like that just might not, the reason why you might've gone against that one in the short term is that it's maybe at the moment, just not hitting as many of those points for you, but that can also change as well. Like you might find well, a community of Lambo drivers that you want to connect with and then go well, out there I mean, driving Lambos and it, it can change as well, which is pretty cool. And, and what I want to say is I think there's also a layer of sometimes you do the five whys and you don't get past the third layer because there isn't one. Yeah. Right. And then that might be a good test because if you can't even get past layer two or three, you've got to really question that decision, right? Because let's say, for example, all right, let's say I wanted to do something crazy and I wanted to buy a Lamborghini. And the mm-hmm. first layer is, oh, because, oh man, the car looks cool. Second reason, because then people, when I drive around, people probably feel like, wow, that person's so successful, which is we know is not really true. People just think you're a bit of a wanker or they just like your car and don't like you. And then let's say I say, okay, so then I'll get the respect of others, for example. And then if you keep pushing me on it, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Like, I, I actually don't know what else to say. <laughs> right. I just had and a look at I accidentally just saw the comments on the side there. And I think we yeah. might be having technical difficulties. Uh, those technical difficulties are only for the live session. Our recording awesome. is fine. <laughs> Beautiful. Cool. Yeah. We will share it after. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah. Continue, my friend. Yeah. So, I mean, if I went down that Lamborghini path, the first one is, look, the car looks cool. Second thing is people will think I'm cool. 
And if you push me a layer further, I don't, I don't think I have another layer. So there, there, not yet. There isn't that third or fourth level layer. Not really. And and, I mean, if I really pushed hard, the third layer and probably the final layer is that because I don't feel successful and by having it, it will make me feel more successful. But then I really think that that train of thought, if you just prod it a little more and you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that that's not how you feel more successful, (laughs) you know? And so it's And sometimes in life, you Mm. might only need one or two layers, right? Like Mm. there's certain things that we do on a day-to-day basis where it only needs layer one, you know? I don't mm. need to know the why yeah. of why I need to go grab a glass of water or go to the toilet. Like, that's pretty much locked in. Um, layer one, so then it's, yeah. it's layer one stuff. And then there, there's certain things that might need layer three. There's certain well, things that might need layer five, just depending on... Well, that, that's a really good point, though, because then it's important then to recognize that the decisions you're currently making, is it layer one approval, layer two, layer three, layer four, layer five? What we're talking about here are the real big life decisions, right? And yeah, I, I guess the bigger the decision, the, the bigger the impact, the deeper you better be able to go in terms of the five whys. Yeah, for sure. Cool check. And, and I, think, I really like it. I love what you just said there because that's, that's the point where I think where we find conflict is sometimes we make something that's going to cost us a, layer, a level five equivalent of time, energy, and resources, but we only mm. give it layer two level of thinking and then we feel that discomfort in the mismatch because we're like okay this is actually a level five decision but i've just Mm. impulsively jumped into it with late level two approach and as it starts playing out it just isn't thought out well enough and then you feel like you're kind of sinking in that decision or it hasn't really hit your needs or what you expected from it enough um and then sometimes maybe we do level five types of thinking we overthink things yeah that really yep. didn't require it. And it was only just a quick decision. It's like, look, this, yep. is, this is really a level two decision. I just had to make a call and then move forward on it. Some but, of my students who are th- in the communication world and want to make videos for social media go down to level five thinking for a video that's going to last 30 seconds on their stories on Instagram that's only going to last 24 hours. Yeah, that right? 50 people are going the, the, to say you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we overthink... And then that's funny. I think that's a trap that we tend to fall for. Now, that trap is dangerous because it stops you from starting, right? To overthink simple decisions stops you from starting. But then to underthink important decisions puts you into a hole that sometimes take, takes a long time to dig yourself out of. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I, I have friends, you know, people I know who, who've invested in certain things and cryptocurrency and then didn't think about it enough, <laughs> didn't learn about it enough, and then sunk a lot of money into it and lost a lot of money. And that was yeah. that required level five thinking, right? That required you to really spend time. And so I think that's a really interesting point. It's, it's just having that self-awareness to identify, okay, the situation in front of me, how deep do I need to go with the thinking for this decision? Yep. And immediately just having the awareness right in that moment to go, okay, this is, this is level three, this is level five, this is level one. I think even that simple little takeaway alone is going to help you move through life with a little more, little more grace and a little more wisdom. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, yeah, that's a really cool insight that I've never really looked at when we've spoken about these things before. That's cool. Mm. Yep. Yep. I like the it. The next one that now, I like, or you go. No, go for it, bro. Anyway, it's like you got one there already. <laughs> 
I love this where he talks about disappointment panda. Do you remember that bit <laughs> in the book? <laughs> read the passage out. Is there a passage the, you have in front of you? Because if you I do, read it. I don't have the full passage, but what, what ah. I've got here is, is don't hope for a life without problems. Hope for a life of good problems. You know, and, and this is what like happiness really is about. It's about, you know, what is the quality of the problems that you solve? Now, I don't know if you can remember what the whole disappointment panda component was, but it was something along the lines of what, like, um, well, well I, I, what I remember of disappointment panda, I definitely remember laughing while reading it. It's that dis- disappointment panda is a character he created that comes and gives you the reality slap, right? <laughs> comes along and goes, Hey, look, you're not really special. Uh, you're, you're not that unique. Uh, you're not as great as you think you are. You are going to suffer through your entire life because life is all about suffering. Uh, it's mostly going to be shit. And you're most likely not going to do anything that's going to have that much impact in the world. And you'll probably need, leave no legacy. <laughs> just just letting you know, disappointment panda. That's kind of that's my rendition of disappointment panda as he walks away waddling his... His boss yeah. of eating bamboo. Just, yeah, just really happy with himself. Yeah, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And and I think yep. that we we all have that version of that inner voice that exists in some way, shape, or form, right? They're just telling Mine us that, hey, hey. really, really eloquent and it seems like it's a big yeah. problem in our life, doesn't it? It was yeah. so well delivered. Yeah, I know. I hear like, that quote every day. <laughs> your primary internal dialogue is disappointment, Panda. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, the way I delivered that was way too smooth, man. There was no thinking time. It was just, it was as if it's a soundtrack. That that was, it's like, it was like I was reciting my favorite song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, my, I, I killed Disappointment Panda like 15 years ago. <laughs> That's that's oh, enough wow. of you, buddy. We're, we don't yeah, need your negativity in here. We've got enough going on. Um, <laughs> that, that's hilarious. But I love <laughs> I love that notion though of I think a lot of the times you're like, if I just do this, this, and this, I won't have any problems. And then I'll have that feeling of peace or freedom. Whereas what you said before as well, that life is largely a series of situations and problems and decisions and it doesn't really stop you know it just depends on can you keep improving the quality of what those types of problems are that align with who you are and well i thought that was pretty pause cool for a concept yeah well pause for a second that it, it, what you mean by life is just a series of problems is I, I think what mark mentions in the book is he says all right you you solve one problem but the solution for one problem opens up more problems Mm-hmm. Right. So for example, you, you, you buy your, your dream house and you're like, yay, I'm in my dream house. Well, <laughs> now you've got the next set of problems you have to face. You've got to pay the mortgage. You've got the next set of problems you've got to face. Well, now do I use more of my savings to furnish it the way I, I, I want? Oh, should I get a bigger TV? Oh, should I renovate the kitchen? Oh, there's a big oh, there's something wrong outside. with that. I, yeah. That's right. Should I render the walls? Should I do the yada, 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 yada. So the recognition of, the, the, the realization that the solution to one problem just opens you up to a new series of problems. Mm-hmm. And then those new series of problems, as you solve those, open you up again to a new series of problems. And the, the idea I think Mark's trying to share there behind all of that is, well, just make sure you pick good problems. Yeah. Because if you solve a good problem, well, then hopefully that 
solution to the good problem leads you to better problems, right? Otherwise, if you start solving bad problems, then you'll have more or worse problems to solve. And then it just kind of is a spiral to, yep. towards hell. And I think we all feel it too, right? Like when there's problems that don't really energize us or really bring us down, a lot of the times we have that internal feeling where there is a little bit of conflict, right? Like they make us feel overwhelmed or they drain us of energy or they keep running through our minds all the time. And a lot of the times those problems, you know, like if we think about it, the quality of those problems maybe aren't at the level that we want them to where they feel more like an obligation or a weight. Whereas then there's other times where it's still the same thing, but it doesn't even feel like a problem. Like you're fully energized and you're working away at something for 10 hours a day and it's, you know, it's collaborating with people and you're passionate about it and you love what you're doing. Like that's still a problem that you're figuring out and you're solving, but it doesn't have that negative connotation or feel like a problem. And I think trying to find some of that awareness around, okay, what are the situations that I love engaging with that spark me up a bit more? And then what are the ones that I'm engaging with that might be bringing me down a little bit? And sometimes there's a little bit of both. Like I've had so many in my life where it can start off being something that's really painful and just feels like it's unsolvable. But then as you start working through it and you go deeper and deeper into it, then you're like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And then on the other side, there's usually something amazing on it. But I think having that intention of this is a problem or a situation that I want to focus on. That well, is one of well, can I ask you to step. share an example with specifics if you're no, comfortable? You because, you know, because <laughs> every, every time you show an example, it's like, so, so my example is, you know, there was a moment <laughs> when I felt, you know, there like was a problem and then that moment was really impactful and then I solved it and I felt really good, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> Give me some details, brother. It's always, in your case, it's always A plus B equals C. Uh, yeah, it's really simple. There's, uh, yeah. no, but say, did you have an example? I mean, is there something you can think of that you feel comfortable sharing? And if you don't, that's okay too, brother. I'm just, I'm just calling out. Yeah, I think, I think one, and I don't know how good an example this is, but I remember when we were trying to have kids, right? Like hmm. that was a situation that we knew that we wanted to have kids, and we were trying for a while, and and then it's one of those ones where you don't really have too much control, but you still are focused on the process and the outcome. So my wife, Chantelle, and I, we had to, like we had eventually ended up going through the process of doing IVF and that's how we had our two boys and you go through that process. And I think that was one that had that mixture of it because there was lots of like times where I think both of us were like, oh man, this is, this is a really shitty problem that we have to solve that at that time, not many not many of our friends were really in the in a similar situation where or family were in a similar situation where they were solving a similar type of problem. So I think going through that process and then working through it and knowing that probably for 80, maybe 60 to 80% of the time, it had an element of pain associated with it. But then mm. when it did work and it switched around and we started sort of proceeding through that journey – I was like, oh, wow, Like that was actually amazing going through that process. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like even the admiration of watching Chantel sort of go through that process as well and work through it. I think it was one that just shifted, you know, the perspective on Mm -hmm. it. And then obviously, luckily enough, ended up with with our first child, Marcel, and then it sort of shifts over, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, it starts into a whole different set of 
in quotation marks, problems, right? Because now you've gone from trying to conceive and having a kid to now raising one and figuring that out. So another evolution of it, but I think kids are always a pretty good one. There's probably a few that exist even in the business world. I think the business world's great for it. Um, and just something that I've learned over the last eight years at different parts of the journey where you, you always hit a plateau point and you try a certain series of moves and actions and you've got, you know, your team that are working on certain sort of projects, call it. And we've had it at multiple times. Like I remember we started off like our, my business future golf, we started off as Gen Y golf in the first four years, we were based in one state and we just got trapped at this sort of number where we couldn't break that in terms of members. It was maybe like six, 700 members from memory, something like that. And it felt so unsolvable at the time. You know, there was moments there where there was three, four of us sitting there at the pub and we're just like, oh, we can't service this amount of these amount of members that we've got. We can't get any more members. We can't get any more partners. We don't know what to do. And then slowly we started working through the problem solving approach for that. And that eventually led to us rebranding, getting a marketing agency in, getting some more team members in, going out to other experts that had walked the path and sort of taken that step from where we were to the next stage that we wanted to head into. And all of a sudden, it just something that, again, just felt really unsolvable and that had plateaued for maybe a year, a year or so. It just changes mm-hmm. significantly and then you start seeing a whole different world that opens up on the other side and then it comes with its own set of problems and that's that iteration process, I think. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing. And I think what's interesting with both those problems that you've shared, they ended up being problems that were worthwhile solving, right? Yep. And and I think it, it brings to mind and it, it brings front of mind now, well, then the question is there are problems worth solving and then there are, there are problems not worth solving. And in, in problem solving itself, the process of solving problems is suffering. You suffer. It's hard. It's hard to solve that business problem. It's hard to go through IVF. It's hard to be the only one in, in, in your circle doing it. And as a result, you suffer. And another interesting point in the book as well that Mark talks about is that, well, you should choose where you're suffering, right? Which means also you should choose the problems worth solving. Yep. Whereas I think when we put no conscious thought to this, you end up trying to solve silly problems that are not worth your time. And these silly problems will just open you up to a, a new world of silly problems. Mm. It's funny because this book, talking about it to you now, makes me want to just sit for an hour and audit all the current problems that I'm trying to solve in my life. To just, again, do another quick check of just a quick self-awareness process of going, well, is it worth me trying to solve all these problems here? Should I prioritize? Is there an 80-20 situation with the problems that I currently have in my business, in my personal life, et cetera? That's a really cool way to look at it because like you said, right at the beginning of this section, disappointment panda, also aligned with Buddhism, funny enough, life is suffering. I mean, it is. You go from one type of suffering to another. It's just choose what you're going to suffer for. And it's also, as, as you were saying that, got me thinking about hmm. ways that, because we're using words like suffering and problem, right? And mm. I think it's nearly like, you know, when the word like ego and stuff's used as well, it's got this negative type of yeah. connotation. Whereas 
the way that I look at both, say, problems and suffering, I'd nearly look at it as that's the journey or that's mm. part of the path. Like if you're going to engage in moving forward or progress, right, like putting label – like to me, like whether it's labeling it as suffering or problem solving or whatever it is, realistically it's a series of decisions, choices, actions that take place – based on our values and our beliefs, desires, objectives, goals, whatever that looks like. If we're engaging, you know, and call it reality or this version of the world that we're a part of. And I think that, and I think Mark talks about this in the book too, is that one of the things that's very liberating or a couple of the moves that's super liberating is just when you take ownership and acceptance of those things. Because it's when, like even when I was telling the IVF story, like if I now look at it, look back on me 10 years ago when I was 26 going through that process there's Mm. probably a few little mindset shifts where you know you you remove the victimhood mentality or what the why is this happening to us things like there was certain components that existed in that process and journey that I feel if would have known a little bit differently we would we could have approached it a little bit differently too just to change the nature of that journey and I think if I look back on it, we did pretty well. Like our state of mind and all that was relatively solid. But again, there was a few bits and pieces of that probably just didn't help the process anyway because the reality of the process was going to play out as it was. It was largely outside of our control, right? Um, how how would could, you how would have how would you have approached it differently? I think more just around just the weight of wanting the outcome so badly, and some of probably the emotional narratives that we had around that at times where it was like, oh, you know, we're going to get too old before we have kids. Like, uh, did we make the right choices, you know, like with our, you know, with the way that we're eating and our lifestyle at the moment, like why why is everyone else, why is everyone else in our family having kids like, you know, Mm. from one look at each other and, we've got to go through this three-year process and find money for IVF and find these doctors and, you know, go and do tests and Shant has to do injections and have a surgery and like all these other bits and pieces. Like I think that notion of just accepting that, okay, this is part of our path and our journey. Let's just really lock in and embrace it. Um, But I think that that natural side of the why, why is this happening? uh, And a lot of what you just said was comparison. Yeah. Leaps. So, so many of the sentences you just dispensed were about comparison. Yep. Why is this person, the other person, this person, yep. the other person? There was a lot of comparison there too. Yep. It's probably that mixture, right, of victimhood, of comparison, mm. the, the natural mm. fear of not getting the outcome, uncertainty, like all those things, anxiety that would then sneak in. And I think it's just sort of bringing a little bit of different awareness to that process. Hmm. it's the same with business. Like I think when we have high levels of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. then disappointment panda can have a really good run at you. You know, Mm -hmm. if you let that door open up, whereas the reality is, is that like there's not many call it even problems or situations that don't have a variety of different solutions. It's just sometimes we can't see them straight away. And then we get comfort, I think, as we start speaking to experts and we get given new knowledge, new insight, we take a few actions, we make a few moves in that progress. All of a sudden that 
that sort of disappointment point and panic can sort of subside a little bit. And then you start feeling a high degree of comfort, whether that's real or not. It, it still just makes me think of the beginning of this topic as we talked about it in terms of you seem to be very aware of which problems to solve and which problems to leave. Mm. Right. Because I don't, you know, knowing you now for the years we've known each other, I don't really find you solving problems that lead you to worse problems. I find you tend to, you tend to solve problems that lead you to better problems. Right? We all have problems, but it leads you to better problems. How are you able to determine whether, like, do you have some kind of framework when you encounter a problem where you go, do I leave it? Do I deal with it? Do I, you know, like, what, what, what kind of process do you have? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's probably a combination. Like, I generally operate off some type of, call it strategy or vision for the most part. You know, it's pretty open. Like, it's not a very strict plan or like, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. It's not like that. But I've probably got like goalposts that are like, that I'm pretty clear on that do align with my value system and beliefs and what interests me and a few of the other things that we've spoken about over the years. And that, that provides me with pretty good foundational parameters to make decisions and choices and to allocate bandwidth in, right? So I don't, there was a time probably five, six years ago where I was throwing a lot more darts and I'll try a lot of really different things just to sort of find what it is that I enjoyed and really that. And I think I just got a lot of those iterations in at a relatively young age, which also helps now with that clarity. So I think as we get older as well, you start getting a little bit more clear on, you know, what is it that makes you feel good? What, what do you actually enjoy? What, what's moving you towards where you want to go? What sort of experiences do you want to then have and interaction so i think i've got that relatively solid in terms of helping me with making those decisions so when i do make the missteps i can correct them pretty quickly and get back on track but in saying that there's still still lots of times where it it never stays in a perfect spot if that makes sense like if you're looking for perfection in that process of finding better problems and look, I'll, I'll say it openly. I think I've put in way more time and effort than most people reasonably would in trying to figure that if there is a one, one type of approach to sort that out. And I still haven't found it, you know, like even now I often just think I'm like, is it, you know, we always talk about is it, is there more freedom and peace? Like, in just being the the Buddhist monk type of approach and letting go of all attachment to to material things and your projects and the things that you attach your identity to, or it's better to go all in on some of those things and create new worlds and experiences. Like, still always battling with those questions too. Did I answer your question? I don't just, know if I did. Just just on, just on that point. Well, no, you didn't. Uh, and that's okay. But just quickly on that point to round it out, I, some extra wisdom that I've, and whether it's wisdom or stupidity, it's yet to be, uh, labeled, but I, I think at different stages of life, it requires us to be a different person with a different set of values and a different set of priorities, obviously. Right. And whether you become full monk-like or fully attached to the game and fully attached to materialism, et cetera, it just really 
depends on what stage of life you're at and what you're trying to achieve and what goals you want and what values you have. So it, it there's, yeah, it's the more and more we go down this path of learning and, and growing, the more I'm realizing that it's, it's the same ingredients. It, it tends to be the same ingredients that makes us all feel a certain way or, or, or happy. However, the recipe for all of us is going to be different. Yep. Right? It, sure. it tends to be similar ingredients. And I think the mistake that sometimes we can make is that we think it's same ingredients and the same recipe. Whereas I'm starting to understand now because, you know, as we read all these different books, brother, what, what's really interesting is we're starting to say things like, yeah, man, I've heard this so many times before. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing as this book, same thing as that book. And I think what that tells us is that the ingredients, the ingredients are all the same, but the recipe, it's different for all of us. For sure. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, one of the analogies that I use often is the chessboard's always moving. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think we always want like a really strict formula. You'd probably get it all the time. It's like, Hey Vin, give me the five steps to become a world-class keynote speaker. Right. That's right. Now that's great. But your mix of timing and opportunity and how early Mm -hmm. you started and the reps that you've already put in, like it's all these things to actually get that outcome are going to be very different. Like you can give people your five-step process and it will be genuine and you'll share with them every bit of knowledge that you knew, but the world just might've changed a little bit and moved off that needle where that same formula won't work again. And I think just as you were saying that, one of the things that I think I do a lot of, and even I know you now do a lot of, it's getting balcony level views of everything that's going on in the world that you can kind of control. You know, I think that helps a lot. And what I mean by that is when you Think about how even businesses do strategy. They start with a vision. They generally have a few key objectives. They've got their values and the, you know, the, the culture and their mission and what they're about, what they plan to kind of do in the next two to three years. I think that's a process that we can all use in our lives as well that help with making choices on how to get the knowledge that you need, get the people that you need around you. Get the make the choices and allocate resources, whether that's your own time and money resources, and then also capitalize on opportunities as they come up. Because there's been so many times, even in my life, where I've had a plan and I've wanted to pursue a project or try to solve a problem, but just the timing wasn't right. You know, and mm-hmm. getting that timing is something that requires a lot of nuance. You know, and it's I always say like it's that mixture of like timing, opportunity, and action, where finding that is really key and and it's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do in in alignment with who you are and what you have around you to execute on it as well. And we we, we see like a few people that are able to do that consistently and over and over again, but it's really, really rare, I think. But that that to me feels like the underlying formula. You you just sent me a text last night. After we, yesterday, we did like a three hour call on both of us looking at the bird's eye view of our business and our lives. And we're just starting to notice, I mean, especially in my situation where there are so many opportunities coming up now that it becomes difficult to, like, it it truly becomes difficult because I'm sitting here going, which problem should I focus on, right? Which, which opportunity should I try to, 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 to grasp which one first, you know, and it it becomes this, it, it really is an overwhelming exercise because you go, 
Right. For for example, I had a a publisher reach out for a publishing deal, and it's like, is now the right timing though? Right, because I've got so much going on. Is now the time to take this? Because you can. It's funny. You could do the right thing at the wrong time, and that it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you'll never know, you know. That, that's the other yeah, thing with this game is like there's no way to validate in life right. that we know of yet where you can mm. simulate the different paths that you choose on. So that's why you've just kind of got to make a decision, and then mm. that's that's where I think emotion and that intuition and that gut feel comes in a little bit. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to go down this path but I'm comfortable with it regardless of how it plays out because that's what I've chosen at the moment. And if I don't get the validation or it's as I start embarking on this journey, if it's just really not feeling good and building that sensitivity to, is this something that I want to keep solving, right? Like we used the, the IVF example before or the business example, like it'll organically nearly play out how it's meant to, because based on those circumstances and just what's, what's sort of available to you generally as humans will pick the things that are going to take us to that goal um, to the best of our ability, right? Like it's, it's very rare that we don't utilize what we have at our disposal um, unless our goal is to really like self-sabotage whatever, whatever it is that we're trying to do. But I think a lot of that happens pretty subconsciously where you you could figure out, but having that balcony view just gives you a lot more clarity around what the options are and how to make those decisions. Like even when we went through some of your stuff yesterday, like you're at the point now where you've just got to make like three to five, probably pretty significant decisions. And it changes the whole trajectory of some of the stuff that you're doing, but finding what those three to five are from 25 really good options that's, that's right. your that's your challenging bit because you don't have really any like call it traditional low hanging fruit problems that you just need to solve. Yours are yeah. at the moment mainly opportunities. Whereas two three years ago, you had different types of problems that just had to be solved because that opportunity timing combo was very different to what it is right now. Yeah, and and I think part of the way one of the solutions, especially if you're listening to this and you're you're going through a difficult time and you've got lots of opportunities or you've got lots of options in front of you, I think this is where you have to have the awareness to go. All right, so this is clearly a, a level five thinking activity. I need to sit down. I'm not just going to pick five out of the twenty five. I need to sit down and map these things out. And that's what I did yesterday, Ali. Like I I mapped out everything on a piece of paper. Then had a three-hour call with you to talk through each and every one of them. We rated each and every one of them in terms of how much energy it gives me, what kind of financial return does it give me, how much growth potential does it have. You know, and, and we, we really mapped it out it's, and almost scientifically looked at the opportunities in front of us with all the data points that we have. And then that made the process way easier to be able to go, well, now, clearly, this isn't a focus of mine anymore. Clearly, that isn't a focus of mine yeah. anymore. But if you don't think at that level of depth, then it's very easy to make the wrong choice. Yeah. It's very easy uh, to make the wrong choice. Yeah. I used to get this asked by a couple of my you know, advisors over the time because especially in the business world, mm. like you'll have a priority list and in your head, they're all number one priorities. 
but then there's 15 <laughs> of them. And then someone's like, well, you can't have 15 number one priorities. Like you've really got to order these and consistently start shifting them around. And that's, that's again, very similar to the five wise. It's like, how do you, how do you just keep training yourself to keep reprioritizing and thinking at that level? Whereas I think we naturally just gravitate to doing, you know, it's like mm-hmm. reacting and doing and you don't want to overthink it, right? Because there's people that probably go to the other scale where they just strategize so ridiculously well, but then never do anything. So you've got these amazing plans that don't get acted on. That's the thing is that more thinking just leads to more thinking. Action is what leads to clarity, not thinking. It's a combo, right? It's like what we always say. It's a bit of both. It's it's finding that mix. And like right now in, in sort of our business world, we're playing a really, like the game's pretty intense. You know, if I, if I was going to use an analogy, it's like you, you, you've made the finals and we're now playing for a championship mm-hmm. and yep. the game's a little bit different and there's lots of moving parts and pieces. You've got limited resources. The speed that you require to do things is rapid and then you have to connect all the dots. You've got to get new insight. You've got to keep increasing the intelligence of what you're doing. You've got to then make sure everyone's sort of aligned and, um, you know, heading in the right, in the same direction. So it's like these, this complex, like, like the thing that I just keep looking at that at the moment. And even we did this yesterday, it's like, you've got little matrices, you know, and there's, there's dots everywhere. It's like, it's that continuous process of just connecting the dots, reprioritizing them, ticking things off, seeing, all right, now, now that this has happened, what does it look like? And then going again and just reiterating that process over and over again. And bringing it back to the, this book, I feel that everything we've said here, it's, it's why this book is so important and the message it shares and, and, and why it's important. It's because when you have no ducks left in your bag, you don't have the cognitive capacity to be able to think through these things with clarity, right? Because if you're giving ducks every moment of every day for silly things, then you no longer have the cognitive capacity and mental clarity to be able to push through and think deeply on these topics you just don't right it's it's like how yeah you've just got to be super careful with how you spend your cognitive energy now you know it's that it's that mental drain i mean i I speak to a lot of my friends often and and they say they just they just feel tired all the time you know they're just always tired and always just just feel depleted and they don't feel rejuvenated and i think a lot of the times it's because we're, we're too busy solving problems that don't really matter to us. And we're, we're giving ducks away for bloody anything, you know? Yep. And, and I think it's, it's that awareness. And I think just to, just to move it onto the next point as well, it's, it's not, I think the book title is a little bit misleading in that it's the subtle art of not giving a duck, right? And, and it's not really about not caring about anything. It's, it's really becoming really clear in your life about what you care about. Yep. And I think that's why we, we talk a lot you know, in, in our process, we, we call recalibrate where we do it once a year with our, our good friends and, and we also do it for others as well. But we talk about having clarity on what your values are. That, that is another way of saying, what do you give a duck about? Yeah. Right. And I think having that has been more important than ever for me while going through the process of what I'm doing, because it's helping me weed things out, weed certain problems out, weed certain opportunities out, because now I'm choosing where I place my ducks. Yep, for sure. And I think just overall, like this 
this book is it, it helps with the self-awareness component a little bit it gives you a different perspective on increasing that understanding of who you're who you are and who you're about uh which is pretty cool and, and i think there's also a flip side to this is and i remember speaking to you know dan who's a big listener and you know family to you friend of mine um and he was also talking about the other side you know from a psychological standpoint is some people like what do you then do if you have no ducks at the moment or you have very limited ducks because you can't even you're not even at the point where right there's any any to give right and Mm. it's nearly working from the other way and i think a lot of people are in this spot too where the ducks are depleted and you know it requires like clinical help it requires medication potentially it requires us to certain things to get to a level where you can operate at a cognitive level to make these types of decisions too you know so i think it's it's having that understanding too you know us not being medical professionals that sometimes when we're talking about these things we're talking about it from yeah. a very different position based on what we're doing in our lives but then there's also a flip side where if you're feeling like shit i've got no ducks at the moment what can I yeah, do? I think yeah, it's yeah. it's looking at yeah. that professional help and trying to get, embed that into your um that that might be the action that's taken, you know, or the problem that gets solved. It's how do I just increase the baseline level of ducks yeah. that I have to actually give? It's it's interesting you say that. When I was younger, when I see other people making decisions that I felt was foolish or wrong in my eyes, I used to be really like I used to in my mind, almost attack them just in my mind. Just go, oh my God, you, as if that person's so stupid. As if they did that. That's so stupid. That's so silly, right? And it's funny, as you grow older, you you you, you learn a little more. And, and like Mark says in the book, I like it. You, you just go from being wrong when you're young to when you're older, you're just less wrong. And, and the more yeah. you learn, you just become less and less wrong, but you're still wrong. <laughs> so I like that. I like that. So everything I know is wrong right now. It's just less wrong, hopefully. For sure. What, what, like, what I'm saying from that is I, I've learned that everyone is born with a different toolkit. And for some people, that decision they made that when I was younger, I perceived it to be really stupid. I have a lot more empathy for that now because I just think to myself, wow, that person, maybe they were only born with a toolkit that has only allowed them to react in that way. Because I'm sure other people look at me with some of the decisions that I make and go, oh my God, then you're so bloody stupid. But really it's, I've made those certain decisions in my life because I only have access to a certain number of tools until you go down the process of learning and getting help. Like you said, you know, and if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, Oh, I've got no ducks. I've got no tools. Then I think it's about, (laughs) I mean, in Australia, it's go to Bunnings, right? In America, it's go to home Depot. And that's the psychologist. That's the psychiatrist potentially, or a counselor or someone Mm -hmm. to go get some extra tools, you know, and and there's no shame in that. Yeah, get more tools. And then as you have more tools, you're going to be able to build more things, fix more problems. You become more dynamic. And and I think the the message there is it's okay if you don't have that many tools. The reason we created this podcast is in in the hope that it inspires our children, first of all, to know that it's all right. Dad was stupid once. You heard it on the podcast. He was very wrong and had a hammer and that's all he had and everything was a nail. But then, you know, dad, a part of the process went along and got more tools and read more books and learned, et cetera. And, and secondly, the priority or, or the vision for this podcast, I, I, I think, is to help inspire other people to go, hey, that sounds like a really cool tool. I'm going to go give it a crack, learn how to use it. 
And all of a sudden, they're going to find themselves be able to solve certain problems in their life and help other people as well. And, and that's how we can have our little bit of impact in the world. For sure. Yeah, I, I like I that, that you called out that message. I, I, yeah, just wanted to call that, that lesson out from the book as well. We go from being wrong to just less wrong. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine when we look back on this thing in 20 years time and how cringeworthy it's going to be? And we're like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. God, did we tell people to, that that was something that we were doing at, at that period of time? <laughs> I, but how that's, wrong, that's making how wrong were we? That's making how, the assumption that we become less wrong. What if we yeah. become more <laughs> wrong and then yeah, we go, more. damn it, those guys are so smart. What if we just... What if we just listen to what they say? Imagine it just goes full circle. We just start listening to our own podcast, and we're like, we were so much more intelligent, so much smarter in twenty twenty two. Now we're like, now it's like twenty forty, and I can't stand anything you say, Vin. It's so. When did you become so dumb? Yeah, I know. Or, or maybe that's the path to enlightenment. Is that like smart is the dumb is the new smart, and and smart is the new dumb. Well, think about it like, and, and we probably as a society don't do this enough, but when you speak to like a grandparent or somebody who's in their 80s, mm. they just don't say that much. You know, like, I don't know if you've done this recently, but I've done it with like Chantel's like grandma and like a few other people. And you ask like some questions to try to see if there's like some secret nuggets, you know, in the sauce or mm. whatever it looks like. And the answer's always just so like simple. And like, this is somebody mm. that's seen such a broad spectrum of life over a 80, 85 year period who has a very high level of wisdom and insight and thought. And a lot of the times it's just like, yeah, no, it's just, I'm like, what, what do you think about? He's like, oh, just a few memories and like hanging out with, you know, family and the grandkids. And it's just, everything's just so like, it's not overthought. It's not over theorized. There's nothing complex mm. there. It's not like there's a 10 step formula to go and do these things to get to this point. It's just like, do you think we'll be that? Do you think we'll be that when our grandkids one day ask us, hey, grandpa, oh. you know, what, what's the meaning of that? I feel like you and I would just immediately move into a three hour <laughs> podcast with them. I feel like, I feel like <laughs> I, I, I'm more likely. I think you're less likely. I think you're, you'll yeah, always have like, oh, you'll be like, sit down. I've got a story for you, young chap. Yeah. And then like five yeah. hours later, they'll be like <laughs> a mini novella hey, of your no. top top 55 stories and experiences <laughs> over the last 40 years. <laughs> hey, but I would deliver it with intensity and Oh, you'd be amazing. You'll be amazing. Be like I'm not saying it's going to – I never said they're going to be shit stories. I'm like, they're going to be – I'll be there. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard this one 50 times, but yeah, I'm still yeah, going to listen. <laughs> Maybe he does it well. This time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no, funny I though. Mean, like I was, I was listening to yeah. us. We are on a different podcast the other day that got released and I was listening back to it. I don't usually listen to us, but I had to listen to this one and – Again, I just found myself like being a fan, not of me, but like of the conversation and uh, the stories that you were sharing. So I don't know, there might be something there where the stuff you do holds not, up, my friend. Not to take away from the message you're trying to share there. And it's that, it, and I think it tends to be true. I mean, this is a pretty big blanket statement. However, as, as you speak to people who are older and have more experience in life and have been through more, at the end of the journey, things are just very simple. You know, I, I, I want to be around the people that I love. I want to spend time with people that I love. I want to eat good food. And it's just, it's very simple. You know, it, it's, I want to reminisce on some nice memories. You know, it's, 
it's not overly complex. Whereas right now, you know, you and I were in our mid thirties and and moved past our mid thirties now, and you know, moving on to forty. I mean, holy shit, dude! Last night I was talking to Paywen and Paywen for those new listeners, she, that's my wife. And and when I saw her Paywen, it it was interesting in that I said to her, hey you know, one of the big rules of wealth in our life, in, in life is that we should live below our means. And, you know, we're considering buying a place, et cetera, a problem, right? Should we mm-hmm. solve this problem? And in the end, we, we talked through it and we said, you know what? One of the big rules in wealth is we should live below our means. Let's not do it. Mm-hmm. Because if I, we do that, then it opens up a new can of worms, new problems, et cetera. We, we don't really want to solve those type of problems right now. And then I said to her, well, let's wait 10 years. And then when I said that, she, she, she paused for a second and she goes, Oh my God, in 10 years, we're going to be in our mid to late 40s. And I don't know that when she said that this time to me, it hit me different, bro. It hit me. A duck was definitely given during that conversation. (laughs) There was a duck that I handed over to her. You know, I I definitely handed over my my last remaining duck that evening. There's a few, there's a few ducks in this one. Yeah, no, there was. There was. And I just I just went, oh damn. In 10 years, I'm going to be mid to late 40s. And I don't know, it scared me in a way that hasn't scared me like mm. before. It's really weird. It's this really might weird. be a five Y one to go it, down it really, the layers of it. Five Y one. But but more than this, yeah. to, to be vulnerable with with our listeners here. I had to, I had a really weird experience uh late last week at about two AM in the morning. Mm. Okay. So what happened was wake up from my sleep. <laughs> And just jolted up and then went to the bathroom, uh, number one. So I was taking a pee. And then while I was peeing, I was slowly blacking out. Yeah. Right? Okay. And that freaked me out because I'm like, oh, God, I'm midstream. I think I'm breaking over. I think I'm out. And it took, like, I started while peeing, trying to take deep breaths, Wim Hofing and everything. But literally, I, my eyes were like, it was like I could see, but then it was like a dark, thing that's slowly closing my eyesight and this is the closest i've ever been to fainting in my life i've never fainted before in my life and i was like i think i'm fainting, I think I'm fainting. and then I, I do this little like weaselly call out to pay like, like i just <laughs> trying to call out to pay and it just sounded like this wimpish cry yeah. and she didn't she didn't wake up at all and then i managed to finish peeing quickly turn around sit on the toilet and i was okay but that really freaked me out that really freaked me out because that's never happened in my life before and that to me i think and i'm connecting it to to, to what i said before you know <laughs> late 30s now i'm having problems in my life now that i've never had before and there are also a lot of ducks given here yeah mm. yeah just thought, just thought i'd share that so, so what did that like scare you like, about about age or like age, your health or dying? Yeah, definitely, dude. And then immediately yeah. that day, that's why I canceled the podcast with you for that reason. Yeah. And my wife and I also go through IVF as well. And then immediately, ducks were given there, needed to solve the problem, got five tubes of blood taken from me, and now awaiting results. And then going to go check to see if anything's wrong. For example, yeah. I hope hopefully this is a free scare and and. You know, oh, nothing's wrong with this. Just, uh, this happens and yep. you know, maybe it's just pressure and flow or whatever. I don't know. I'm going to find out. But to me, it's like in life, every now and then, we, we get little scares like this that come along that are important for us to give some ducks about. 
it's easy to ignore some of these. I think as men, uh, I think women are a lot better than this than, than men. I think a lot of men, we go, ah, it's fine. I probably just stopped too quickly or whatever. We don't check these things that can, you know, so, so, so I brought it up because that's a situation that came out of the blue and I decided to give this 20, 20 ducks, almost swore. So I, I gave it 20 ducks and I, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm very proactive now and I'm, I'm looking at, what vitamins I'm deficient in. I'm checking my testosterone levels. I'm checking everything. I'm doing the full gamut, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think we get many free, free reminders in life. Yeah. You know, I, don't think, I don't think they come often, right? Yep. So yeah, that's just a quick call out to the, to the boys and the men out there who, you know, a bit too macho, you know, a bit too, I don't need to get that checked out. I just walk it off. Hey, For if something's sure. going on, uh, get it checked out. Um, yeah, just- just give some ducks and 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 go get it checked out. Especially if you're you know in your late thirties and moving into your forties. And again, I think it's. I cool don't know like why that. I'm talking about that. Yeah, that's just a PSA. Uh, but I think it's really cool though that you had the awareness to not just brush that under the carpet. Because even as you were telling I me really that story, to, though. I really like I'm just like, oh yeah, you just woke yeah. up. You're probably a bit lightheaded, and it's weird that. You nearly passed out I, then. You I really but this is more to. like a funny. I'm like, this is more like a funny story until you started saying that. Oh yeah, then I actually went and I got like blood tests and got it checked out. I'm like, I wasn't really taking the seriousness of the health well, I, uh, ramifications well, I really, here because really, I really wanted yeah. to just brush it off. I really wanted to, man, because yeah. I wanted to do the whole. You know, I'm still young. It's nothing wrong. But then again, it just it, and the reason I'm bringing it up while we're talking about this book is that again, there are things worth giving ducks for, for sure, right? And and there are some things you should overinvest and give more ducks than you you think you should. You know, so I think again it comes back to that assessment. It's such a powerful assessment to do just to just to say you're going through a week. I mean, I love how you always make things pragmatic, and and you you you've you've kind of embedded that behavior into me as well. Now, every time I learn something new, I'm like, okay, how can I pragmatically apply it straight away? And it's that I reckon for the next week or so, I'm just going to really note in my journal uh, what are the key things I'm giving ducks about. And, and I'm just going to reassess, am I doing it effectively? You know, am, I, am I placing them in the right place? Could, are there places where I should be giving more ducks? Um, are there places where I should really be not giving any ducks at all? You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like that, that, that scammer in my life, right? It's like, should I be giving any ducks on that? About that? I mean, really, should I? You know, so again, it, it's, just, it's really making me reflect a lot, which I think... Yeah, it's a good thing. I love it. I think that's really mm. cool. No, that's it's an awesome share. What else? Uh, what else is uh, on your notes there that you've taken? Brother? I think I, I've actually I've spoken to a few people about this one. This is this one really stood out for me, and it probably ties into mm. what you said earlier in the episode about the Beatles guy who really just wanted fame. It's mm-hmm. when you're going down this path, like most people generally just gravitate to the outcome, you know? And I think one of the examples used there was, I think Mark shares the example where he's like, there was a 10, 15 year period where he wanted to be a musician. And he's like, Mm. but when he actually broke it down, what he also wanted was he just wanted the fame. He wanted to, he wanted a couple of like the outcomes that are associated with that. But when he broke it down, he didn't actually love the process of being a musician. Like he wasn't sitting there. He wasn't playing guitar eight hours a day and, you know, actually embedding into the process. So that got me just thinking a little bit more around when you're going back to problems that you need to solve, but what processes do you actually love? 
And this is a frame that I've never really looked at my actions with for a pretty long time. Like, okay, like we take actions on a daily basis and got strategies and plans and pretty refined and track a lot of things and review them. But really breaking it down to not only, okay, what problems do I need to solve, but what processes do I actually really love and am I good at executing on, right? And most people, and he shares this, they just love the outcome more than the process. So, and that's why the result isn't usually achieved. So for me, say in the business world, it started getting me thinking, it's like, okay, over like a 10, 15 year period, the things that I actually love from a process perspective is I love constructing deals and partnerships that have a really large amount of value in them, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. a process that it's something that I really enjoy. I enjoy structuring. I love meeting people. I love trying to find out if there's a mutual exchange of value that's possible and then putting together something that works for everyone, right? Like that's, it's in, and and I think it's also looking at which processes have have you actually executed on that align with this and add value to or um, fit with your sort of mix. So that was one that I found. I I think the other one that I found was just, I love trying to extract knowledge, whether it's from books or information sources or analyzing data or speaking to people and then applying that knowledge in different ways. Um, And then I love, I love strategy. I love the, the notion of imagining something and then trying to build a framework so that there's a, a pathway of possibility for something that didn't really exist before. So I started getting a little bit more like deeper levels of clarity and I needed this reminder, especially for the game that I'm playing at the moment. It's like, okay, well, what are some of these checkpoints and processes that I actually really love? And then what are some of the processes that I'm engaging with right now where I'm probably not really that suited from a process perspective? Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things that I'm really bad at is day-to-day management and maintenance. I'm horrible at that. I've always been really bad at it. Like there's never been a time in my career where I could consistently do something for like five days straight and follow up and just, you know, water that garden, call it is as the metaphor. Like I always need variety. I need something new, need something sort of progressing yeah. like that. So I, I started realizing that every time I have to dabble for a longer period of time, into call it more like operational type of management and follow up on things and stuff like that, I'm probably going to sell everyone a little bit short on that side. So it's trying to get that clarity and finding greater awareness into the processes rather than even just the actions or the problems or the strategy and a few of the other, the values. It's like, okay, well, yeah, what does that look like? That makes a lot of sense because if you're enjoying the process, what that means is you're probably good at it, Yeah. right? Because the things we're good at, we enjoy. It's like if you're good at driving, you probably enjoy driving. You know, if if you're good at a certain game, you enjoy it more. If you suck at something, you're not going to enjoy it. And I think there's a benefit in enjoying the process because the benefit there is you do it better and the people who reap the rewards from the process will benefit, right? Mm -hmm. And I think having awareness on that is really important. I think the big problem is for a lot of entrepreneurs, right? I mean, people who have a job, it's different because your job may have four different responsibilities or maybe five, right? But as an entrepreneur, you've got 20 different responsibilities. Especially if you're a solo entrepreneur, then far out, you're, you're the head of marketing, you're the person who executes the marketing, you strategize the marketing, let alone you do the bookkeeping, you do the finances, you keep all the receipts, like you're doing everything. You're doing the delivery of the service, you're doing it all. And I think the danger in that is the more processes that you have in your life personally or professionally, the more aware you need to become slowly, gradually, 
of which process brings more enjoyment and lean more towards those. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I, I, I met a magician years ago when I first started magic. And I was really inspired by him, a local guy. His name's Shahin. And Shahin would just perform incredible magic that just was beautiful and effortless. And I remember going up to him and asking him, dude, how many, how many hours do you practice a day? And he'd say to me, oh, bro, I, I practice maybe four or five hours a day after school. I went, yeah, man, I do that too, but I, don't, I, don't, I can't do that. <laughs> right? And, and, and I go like, what, what do you think it is that makes you so like amazing at the magic? And he goes, oh, I just, and the, 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 the kind of magic he was doing was sleight of hand. And he goes, oh, sleight of hand just kind of comes, comes naturally or easy to me. And he didn't really know how to explain it. And then what's really interesting as well is I, I had someone at my workshop maybe six months ago ask me something similar where he also runs workshops and he's a facilitator and he's a speaker. And he came up to me and he goes, dude, how do you, how do you facilitate at this level? Like how, how are you able to craft these experiences? How, how often do you spend planning? And I go, oh man, when I'm active on it, maybe six, seven hours a day. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, you know, man, I, I do more than that, but how come you're able to do it? And I go, oh, we kind of, kind of comes naturally. To, and then that's when I caught myself saying the same damn thing that I remember Shahin saying. In that split second, in that moment, it made me really think. When we think about the processes that we're doing in our lives, if you lean into the processes that A, you are enjoying more, but B, that you're naturally kind of good at, if you lean into those a little harder than you are currently, I feel like that's the answer to achieving more in your life and having more impact. It's it's when we are leaning into the processes where we dread, you're not good at, it doesn't come naturally, nor does it come easily to you. And you keep leaning into those. That's where you start to dread life. That's where you start to dread going into work. It's where then it bleeds over into your personal life and you're unhappy. Absolutely. And yeah. And I think all of us, like we've got, there'll be a thread throughout life where there'd be certain processes that we're still good at, say, as a 30, 40, 50, 60 year old, that probably we started building that muscle when we were four, five, six, eight, 10 years old. You know, there's just this foundational repetition or whatever, for whatever reason, it's something that is more just naturally existent within us. And then there's others that we develop over time as well. And I think that awareness of what that combination looks like is something that could be really, really helpful. Because even when you think about the professional world, like at the moment, when we hire for jobs and when people apply for jobs or they go down a business path, they're very structured type of roles, right? Like we talk about these are the these are the responsibilities that you'll have. This is what the the role will look like day to day. But I think really focusing like, and then we interview the person and. They, they tell us what the, they're good at and some of the achievements and outcomes and the places that worked at. But realistically, the more and more I started thinking about it, it's like to effectively hire, you want to see what processes are people really good at? Like what's that person's superpower from a process perspective that they can do? Now, for some people, it might be management. It might be leadership. It might be just execution. It might be problem solving. It might be project management, like whatever it is, right? It might be, you've got a technical skill. Um, you're just really reliable. Like you, you never miss a day of work. Like there's all these different sort of skill sets and processes that we build up that probably naturally exist. And then there's that 
20, 30, 40% that sit outside of that for room for development and creativity and growth as well. But it just got me really thinking differently about even as I continue to build out certain things in all parts of life, it's like, all right, well, what, what process does this relate to? Like, what does this, even in personal lives, right? Like, what processes does Chantel enjoy that mm-hmm. we can amplify a little bit more? What processes are the kids like? already that they really enjoy mm. rather than thinking about like it from an activity perspective or something. Yeah, yeah. There's something process. there to play around with that's pretty cool around processes. I can give you an example right now as well. It, it's been crazy over the last, over the, in this last year, my social media has been going crazy, right? I mean, at the time of us recording this podcast, we're, we're sitting at over 600,000 people on Instagram 600,000 people on TikTok, et cetera. Nuts. I, I've never had this kind of growth in my social media before, which has presented a certain number of problems that I've never experienced before. And one of the processes that started to come up is the process of dealing with brands because I, I can't believe it, Ali. I think I've made it. I've become an influencer. <laughs> and brands, brands now want to work with me, but I don't enjoy the process of navigating the deals. So I immediately started to recognize that in the last few weeks and go and thought to myself, I, I need to reach out to an agency that helps influencers manage the, the collaboration with brands because I do not enjoy that process, nor am I good at it. Whereas I can tell you my initial reaction was, I'm going to do this because it was, new, it was new, it was fresh, it seemed exciting. And I immediately was going to go down that, I think it's the entrepreneurial problem of wanting to be in control of everything. And I wanted to deep dive into that. I Dude, I already bought an ebook on how to work with brands from you know step one all the way to the delivery of the, the the creative, and I was about to read it, and then I stopped myself and go. I thought to talk to myself, "Hang on a second, what am I doing this? What am I doing? I, I'm not. I'm, I don't know how to manage. I don't know how to manage this influencer side of the business. Nor do I have any ducks left at the moment because if I sink four ducks into that, I'm not going to even be able to look at this book deal, etc. Right? So mm-hmm. it's it's been interesting in recognizing which processes do I absolutely suck at and just making the vow not to touch them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the other really cool part too, that in life is like, we've got the processes that we love and then yeah. we're also going to need in, in the worlds that we operate in, we're going to need people that love other processes that that's we also right. need in that ecosystem. And I think that's where we're hiring mm. and building a team yeah, and yeah, having yeah. a good network of friends and family really plays a role. Like even when you yeah. think about raising kids and all that, when you have that village or that tribe around you, the beauty in yeah. that is that there's multiple people looking after multiple processes mm-hmm. that are required. Whereas probably in the Western world now, it's like, you know, parents, you look after the entire set of the process and good luck to you. Like uh, we've probably gotten a little bit more separated. You know, when I look back when we had kids as well, one of the best things that we ever did was my mother-in-law lived with us throughout that Mm -hmm. period. And the amount of stuff that my mother-in-law would look after for us when we needed it, I feel like we got like that journey of early parenthood for us was just so much, I think, more enjoyable just because there was more support there. You, you play that game on medium instead of playing it on hard, right? Yeah, You've got like, to yeah. play it on medium, right? Whereas most of us are playing on a, on extreme and we keep yeah. ducking, dying. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, that was, that was, you didn't die that once was, in that game. You just played it on medium, got shot a hundred times and survived. 
<laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think I got um I I personally definitely got off. I think pretty light. I think yeah, I think Chantal was still ago. playing it on a very high level of difficulty. <laughs> And then, and then uh, I had um, I had reinforcements with my mother-in-law. She was uh, I'm, I'm even going to claim that she was more on my team than uh, <laughs> than Chantel's. We were working yeah, together yeah. on one side of the battle, yeah. and Chantel was looking after a really core part of that journey. But yeah, I've, I'm going to get I've in trouble this. for this. I know I'm going to get in yeah, trouble for I this know. one. You didn't you didn't save me. You did not save me. You just let me. Oh shit. Yeah, there are some there are yeah there are some things I won't give a duck about and that was one of them. Uh, <laughs> I, there, there's a passage I'm going to read because after this passage I wrote the following notes. I went, well, that's bloody depressing. Dot dot dot. So I want to read this out to you because this clearly is something I either do not agree with or something that I'm yep. a little unsure on, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. The section reads, "The ticket to emotional health." like that to physical health, comes from eating veggies. That is, accepting the bland and the mundane truths of life. Truths such as, your, actually, your, your actions actually don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. And the vast majority of your life will be boring and not noteworthy. And that's okay. This is vegetable. And it's going to taste bad at first. Very bad. <laughs> you will avoid accepting it. But once ingested, your body will wake up feeling more potent and more alive. After all, the constant pressure to be something amazing, to be the next big thing, will be lifted off your back. The stress and anxiety of always feeling inadequate and constantly needing to prove yourself will dissipate. And the knowledge and acceptance of your own mundane existence will actually free you to accomplish what you truly wish. Hmm. And I remember reading that bit and going, oh, that just, you know, it I, I hate eating vegetables. I do mm. eat vegetables. I don't like it. And this was this one, when I read it, it obviously impacted me in a, I wouldn't say a negative way. It just, it's just kind of that resistance to eating spinach and broccoli. It's just kind of like, ah, oh, does life really have to, I mean, do I really not matter? Uh, um, is my wife really my most of my life really going to be boring? But, uh, no, but I've no, got no, 600,000 followers. Surely I matter. Why are you saying this, Mark? Yeah. Why are you I finally mattered? And now you're saying I you don't matter? 600,000 followers on Instagram, Mark? I'm going to check right now. I'm going to yeah. look right now See? because I am a loser and I just want to know now. He, he Mark, just doesn't understand what that feels like. It's... I'm going to look. I'm going to look, Mark Manson, to hear you, Mark Manson. you got one million. He's got one million. He's better than me. I am mundane. I am not noteworthy. I'm never going to do anything great. Mark's better than me. I'm a loser. Okay, move on. But like, again, that little pat, damn it, he's got a million. That's going to bother me now. But the thing is, right, I, I hope I don't care as much as I sounded like I cared. I, I read that passage because I think I always have the mindset I always have the mindset that I, I want life to be exciting. I want life to be yep. not boring, which leads to another point in the book where you're not meant to feel happy all the duck and time, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think I have that. I think I, I elude myself into thinking I should be happy all the time. And reading this book, that sentence stuck out more than ever. This passage stuck out more than ever. Whereas before I read it through and I didn't even acknowledge it really because it, mm -hmm. I didn't think much of this. And last week I felt a little bit of burnout. 
Uh, I, I've done some terrible things in terms of I, I worked really hard, then I structured a holiday, and then in the middle of my holiday, I, I flew to London for work for four days, and then I flew back to Singapore, took some work meetings. It wasn't a holiday for me. So I went from hard work to a fake holiday and then worked even harder <laughs> and then came back to hard work again, so I burnt myself out. And in, in the moments where I woke up that week, last week, and I kind of went, oh, man, I feel kind of kind of shitty. Waking up and nearly fainting while you're peeing, and just I just felt overall just like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm such yeah. a loser now. And then when I was going through that, and I read this book, and that passage was top of mind, it really made me feel better because I gave myself permission to not have to feel happy that week, to not have to feel high energy that week, to not have to be inspiring that week. You know, I, I canceled things with you. I had to cancel things with Craig, my videographer. I had to cancel things with a lot of people, but I, I just, I canceled everything mm. and took time to just rest and took that week to not really particularly feel happy. Mm. And it's funny because this is just a book. I don't even bloody know Mark, but his book and his words gave me permission that week to not seek happiness. And it, it was really nice. <laughs> It was really nice, even in my journal, to write. All right, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit in this one for a bit. Just take a, yeah. take, take a, I'm just gonna take a beat. Yeah. It's all good. Whereas my brain started going. All right, then let's go. Let's go down to the range. Let's go do archery, man. All right, let's get let's get on that bike and let let's let's do thirty minutes <laughs> of this and that. And I just went, no, nah, I'm just gonna sit on the couch and watch House of Dragons. <laughs> and and that felt good. Yep. Hmm. I think I think that I like relentless that. desire for for feeling good and feeling happy is a bit yeah. of a trap. It's why he's giving us that medicine with that passage there of you know it's okay if some of your life is boring or most of your life, which he says here is going to be boring. I don't like that bit still, but yeah, I think it's really there's a big pressure if you're someone who's quite productive too. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. To turn that machine off. Because if you think about it, it's probably that engine's been running for a very long time. So it's, it's mm. very counterintuitive to do that. Like I went, uh, I told you this, like uh, recently I did a silent meditation retreat for, yeah. th- well, for three days. Yeah. Tell, tell yeah, us so, about it. So this is like a three day version of this experience. I think they do like 10 day versions, which is like the ultra marathon Jeez, version of silent meditation. And then worst something three months. And Jeez. It, so it was really cool. We went, there was this place in Hillsville, not too far away in Victoria. There's about 25 other people there. And it is, it's a super simple, like you rock up to this place and you, you get a really basic room. Um, you have dinner together where you have a little chat. And then pretty much from that meal onwards, it's silence. So you, and the, the routine is like, you kind of sit and meditate for an hour, hour and a half and then have some food go for a walk, come back, meditate for another two, three hours, have a walk, eat a little bit of food, come back and meditate for two, three hours, go to sleep, and then you just keep rinsing and repeating that process. Are you allowed to write? Are you allowed to write yeah. stuff? Yeah, so this okay, one's pretty loose. Like, like okay. so you can write, you can bring a book. I think there's other more intense versions where it's literally nothing. Like, Can um, you listen to a podcast? Can you listen to stuff? Like he, he kind of had relatively loose rules, but most people didn't have their phone. Um, at- most had a book, like a physical book and a journal maybe. And mm-hmm. and then the rest is like you can go for a walk or, you know, do a few other bits and pieces. But it's funny though, after like 
depending on how active your mind is, I think for most people after sort of day one of this, like all of a sudden that monkey mind that's running and operating and telling you we should do this and check this and do all of that, it just all dissolves and disappears. So I, I couldn't think of a time where for a three-day period I didn't – like I couldn't remember a time where I didn't check my phone for that amount mm. of time or like log yeah. into something or have to, you know, check Gmail or whatever it is. And just yeah. that freedom from the apps, you know, just on a real simple level, the apps and the phone mm. and – the level of stimulus that comes through that it was amazing how liberating just that was for well, that. No ducks were given to the phone. No ducks were given no, to the phone. The The phone got zero ducks. And then yeah. the other part that's really crazy with it is just where your mind then goes, like it just how simple and basic the thoughts are that you're then left with after a day or two, like once everything's sort of been processed and like in journaling and stuff like it was funny because then every night people could do a share if they wanted to. And it was hilarious some of the things that people were sharing. Like they're like, yeah, I think I probably spent like 10 minutes weighing up whether I was going to have a second serving of the apple crumble at dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Or like like it's these types of decisions. I spent like 40 minutes just thinking about that bird that was making a noise outside, right? Because you've got such a little stimulus Mm. that your brain just goes down to this level of like, well, there's just it, not that much happening for a lot of it's people. It's what happens. What happens when you have all your ducks and there's yep. nothing to give ducks about? Like yeah. that. Like I guess the silent meditation is such a powerful experiment. In what if I left you with all of your ducks every day for three days? Yeah. What would you do if you gave no ducks away for three days? That's a fascinating. Tell us more. So the yep. the, the thoughts became really simple: ice cream scoops, birds making noises. So, what else? Yeah, so like this first, and I think that was for some people, right? For some people, the thoughts became really simple. For others, like a real key situation or thought would become very amplified, but to the point where like there was a couple of people that shared that, okay, well, I've now just got a lot of clarity on this situation that I now need to go back and solve at the end of this. And I've been thinking about it nearly that one thing for three days, and that's the thing that just keeps running through my mind. For others, it was just really overwhelming and their thoughts because ultimately especially the meditation component like you're pretty much just sitting like at the core of that type of meditation is you're just sitting there silently and you have no distractions right so ultimately you have to sit there with your own mind and Mm. see how it plays out so i think for a lot of people that maybe were experiencing a few different things just that level of discomfort of just sitting there and letting everything else go was really difficult to the point where like funnily enough like some people feel like they've got a knife getting stabbed in their back some people like get really like emotional and are crying and some people just leave like so there's a little there's a bit of a variety of i think how people experience it but but that's really that that's very rare like say out of the 25 people i think that i observed maybe two people sort of left in that in that category yeah that we just sort of needed or needed a lot more breaks and just sort of stayed in their room some people just get really tired sleepy and they just sleep for the a big part of it just because they're probably exhausted so there's i think a variety of different ways that it plays out depending on the individual but yeah it was it was funny and then just for me personally like after on the day three everything's just really vivid you have so much clarity like time feels just a little bit slower so that whole notion of like feeling a bit of that. And then the funniest thing was just going to a cafe the next day. It was so weird. Like just, it felt so loud. 
and people talking and you've gone from this world where you've been, I guess, essentially connected to people for 25 people for three days, but you haven't really said more than five words to them over that period of time. But there's this still like, imagine just sitting there eating dinner, right? And there's 25 people at like these tables and there's just not a word being said. That so sounds like my worst nightmare. So you're just like eating food and you're just concentrating. Awful. Like, so you get so present into eating and no, that's just, that's terrible. It's actually was really cool. It was really? so different. Yeah. Because for the really? first time, did ever, you look at each other while you're eating? Well, well, everyone was just like, it was just such a calm energy in there. Like everyone was just like eating slowly. You hear like the spoon on the plate, you know, there was no one in a rush. Like it's just a, such a different type of eating experience. Did you, look at, it? Did you look at anyone? Yeah, like people anyone? would look around and like people smile yeah. and they do all that. Like oh, there's little subtleties yeah. in it or like you nearly bump into okay, someone okay. and you put your arm up or whatever. But um, yeah, like people are like looking around and checking out the surroundings. But yeah, it was it was a very different wow. experience. But I think going back to your point, it, it's nearly like the world that we're living in. Mm. Like we, these types of forms of activities are pretty valuable as a reset. Like what you kind of did was maybe a version of that where you just said, look for three days, four days, I'm just going to sit here and watch house of dragons, right? Like that is also quite different to your normal routine. So it's nearly like a pattern break or a reset. Um, That silent meditation version is probably a more extreme, like the way that I put it is, you know, because I've spoken to a few people about it is would I recommend it to everyone? Probably not. Like I think it's one of those things where it would be the equivalent of maybe jumping into a half a marathon or a marathon straight away as your first experience. Like I'd probably do get comfortable with like a 20-minute meditation or a few of the apps yeah, first yeah. and then then go and do that. But then for others, I think they would, like there was a lot of people there that had never meditated before and that was their first experience with it and they loved it. So it's just um, – but I think the foundational concept there is just really simplifying things and slowly working through just the repetitive thought patterns. Cause that, that's what I just find personally is that when time feels like it's going really fast and you feel overwhelmed or you feel de-energized a lot of the time, it's just because it's just flicking up from the phone to an email yeah, to Slack yeah. to, to checking something to going to do this task to that task to another action to another mm-hmm. meeting. And then all of a sudden it's 1am and it's like, all right, what, what just happened that's why often when i i find friends who are who, who come up to me and say they're lost i i, I often help them make the reframe it's that it, it's not that you're lost it's just that you're really overwhelmed you're overwhelmed by all the stimuli you're overwhelmed by all the thoughts you're overwhelmed by all the unread emails and and once you label it as lost then you feel like you have no power once you label it as overwhelm then you can realize well just sort one thing out at a time right? Just, just pick one and then work on that one first. And I think that's what it sounds like the silent retreat allows people to do is sit. It's like almost like you're sitting still so that the dust settles in the glass of muddy water. And as the mud kind of settles, you can go, oh, damn, this is one really dirty bit on the glass that I couldn't see while all that dirt was in the, the water. But now it's settled. I've got three really dirty parts of the glass that I need to clean. You know, and, and I think we, we often don't give ourselves that silence and, and, we, and we don't reserve all of our ducks so that we can put all of them towards the things that matter most. 
Yeah. And even if like meditation sounds like too rah-rah and it's a bit out there for most people, like if you mm. think about it, there's activities in our day-to-day that give mm. us similar experiences, right? Like when you're having a shower, generally there's not really much else you can do other than have your shower, you know, like, and be there with your thoughts. When, if you journal, it's the same thing. If you exercise, it's the same thing. If you play golf, it's the same thing. If you read, it's the same thing. If you're watching a TV show and you're not doing anything else, it's the same thing. It's just finding activities that where they're nearly singular and you're only really have one or two thought processes going at that time, just to sort of, you know, you're more in idle rather than in gear. And I Mm. think, as humans, we need that we need that balance and that mixture. Whereas if we're just always in gear and driving, there's a limitation there. I just don't think we can operate at that level for a sustained period of time. And we need to then mm. recorrect it. And it it happens naturally. You know, some people do it with alcohol, they do it with drugs, they do it in different forms where they have these ways to pattern reset. Coffee, cigarettes, like these things were I think even invented over time. It's just some are probably have different implications on your health. Um now they've been replaced more probably with like meditation and exercise and um, joining a community or whatever it is, but it's finding those little resets. I wanted to go back though to your point that you made at the start of this though is I think Mark talks about being comfortable. Like we're, we live in a society where so much about it is about being exceptional, right? Mm. Like even you just said it before, mm. you, you check Mark's social media so mm. 10 minutes ago, we were celebrating that you went from 10,000 to 600. Yeah. Now you're probably a little bit disappointed that you don't have a meal like Mark. No, right? I, 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 think, I think I was doing that. I was doing that for humor. I I know, as, a I joke. as a joke. That was, of course. That was a joke. I'm yeah, mucking yeah. around. I mean, I, I, I genuinely don't. I, I, it, it's weird, right? Because I, well, we've done so many of these podcasts now that I think I've reached a level of comfort of not trying to be something that I'm not on these podcasts. And I think that's a cool place to be because I feel that I'm able to share more of who I am. And as a result, I really believe that, again, you know, one of the core reasons I, I wanted to do this was for my kids in the future, that they can see more of who I am by me getting more comfortable with this platform. And yeah, to be transparent, I, I, I am excited by the growth on social media because the, the, the number of DMs I get now and comments where people are saying really beautiful things, it, it makes me feel really good, but I'm also not attached to it. I... I, I see it. And I'm like, wow, that's really nice. So it feels good and it feels exciting. And I will be transparent here too. You know, I, I check my followership maybe 10 to 15 times a day to see if it's growing. That's a lot. Uh, but I don't feel competitive. I don't feel like, oh, damn, Mars got a million. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't feel that. I just feel like, man, I, I'm still really shocked that it's growing at the level it's growing. And yeah, it's just like to me, it's crazy. I think partly because I've been doing this for nine, 10 years, man. And 99% of my growth has happened in the last eight months. Yep. <laughs> for sure. No, it's so awesome. it's, it's, a, it's, a weird, it's, it's one of those weird things that happen. I, I, I don't know what it is, man. People, yep. so many of my speaking friends and thought leader buddies have reached out and go, hey, what are you doing differently? Do you have any insights to share? <laughs> and the answer is, I don't really know. I mean, the answer is I'm not telling you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not even that because I, I, I would tell yeah. them if I, if I had yeah. clarity on what it yeah. is. Right. I just yeah. think it's, it's you, you, you get good at something when you struggle with it for nine years. Right. And we, which, which again brings us back to that point of, I mean, there was a great quote from uh, Freud who, who, who says, 
one day in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. And you think about the times where you sit down and you reminisce with your team or you reminisce with your friends or your family. We tend to reminisce about the days where things were hard. I, I tend to sit down and reminisce about when I used to work in a takeaway store with my cousin and it was working for my family. And we would reminisce about how early we'd have to get up, how we had to cut bread and butter it at like 6 a.m. and then stand and serve during the lunch rush times. And I would, you know, I would reminisce with my other buddies about how we used to work at a petrol station, et cetera. And we tend to, and even you and I sit and reminisce about the tough times when we first started our business. We had no idea what we were doing. And that quote just reminds me that struggle can be framed as a bad thing. Suffering can be framed as a bad thing. But in hindsight, struggle, suffering, difficult times, they become the things you remember the most and that you looked, you look fondly upon. You look really fondly upon in the future. You go, oh, remember that time where we worked really hard and we had all these failures. And you look at the books. Some of the books are the most exciting. Another podcast shout out to an episode we did in the past, Catch of the Decade. The whole book was not about the moment where they achieved a massive exit of hundreds of millions, probably took about three pages to tell. The other 197 pages of the book were about the moments of struggle and you should have seen the way they wrote about it. There was yeah. so much joy and, and, and yeah. energy and enthusiasm behind the way they wrote about all the past yeah. failures and struggles and, and, yeah. and painful moments. Yeah. We just, um, it's, it's, interesting. We just, it's interesting to make that reframe. We just launched the uh, soft launched our future golf app yesterday, and mm-hmm. it was exciting, really cool. Like, we got we got to jump on to a call with the the tech crew, like Jeremy and Teeks and CK. We built it, and it was just a really cool moment, just sort of sharing with the guys that you how extremely proud they should be of that journey. Because mm-hmm. now the app's out there; it's going to be in the world. But it's really the last fifteen months through the battle and the problem solving and the struggle, and you know, trying to figure that out and building something that's just unique and special it's like i think you get those moments very rarely even in a career or in a lifetime where you get to work on something like that with a group of people so it was just you know nearly acknowledging that journey and that moment and being like you know remember this and take stock of that story and that journey and be proud of what you guys have done because um it is something very special and i'm sure they'll also that'll be something that they'll look back on in years to come and be like oh Remember, remember those 3 a.m. nights where we found a, yeah. whatever, a bug or a, had to rewrite this API? Like, what does that then look like? And I think it's a really cool concept. And you're right. Like, they're the, they're the stories that we always go back to. It's, mm. it's not the easy ones or the ones that just yeah. sort of landed on our laps. You're right. W- when's the last time you and I ever reminisced about a win that was easy? Yeah, we, we give those a couple of minutes generally. Like, even the yeah. wins in general. Like, if yeah. you think about it, we don't spend – we, we celebrate them and we'll be like, oh, you know, proud of you. Well done. Good job. But we spend a lot more time and effort, I think, on, on the process well, right. yeah. rather than like we don't sit there and be like, all right, let's go out for dinner and go celebrate. I don't think we've ever done that with any of the wins. Like let's go celebrate this. It's generally just leads into another process rather than um, getting stuck into that. But yeah, that's cool. I've got, a, I've got another passage here. Uh, which is really cool too. And, and, and it says, this in a nutshell is what self-improvement is really about. Prioritize better values, choosing better things to give a duck about, because when you give better ducks, you get better problems. Mm-hmm. And when you get better problems, you get a better life. And I feel like that's just a really nice summary 
to to capture us talking about you know problems, processes, etc. It's it's really think about what your core values are. And I think really analyze what your values are and, and really have them in front of you so you see them with clarity. And then every time something makes you react emotionally, whether it's good or bad, just cross-check it with the values that you currently have. And just cross-check always to see if your values are still serving you. And if they're not, maybe it's time to update those values. Maybe you set a value when you were 18 and that value was, I want to become a millionaire. And you look at your life right now and that value is no longer serving you. Remove that value. Put something else in there that's more more, more that's going to serve you more, right? Because the reality is a lot of the times the values that we have, they may, they may not be the values that we've chosen for ourselves. Those values may be generational. They may be passed on through family. They may be passed on through friendship group, social circle. They may be passed on because of the company you work at. Just check in on that. I feel like so much of what we've spoken about here is making sure you have alignment, making sure you solve the problems that are based around the values that you have. That's going to help you get to those better problems. Because I can tell you now, when you have better problems, solving them becomes more exciting. For sure. Yeah. That's cool. Any, any, like any last thoughts, Ali, as we, uh, we round out this episode? Yeah, mine, mine would have been pretty aligned with that. Like I think it's maybe a more simplified version of mine as I'm doing those checkpoints would be is why am I, why am I doing this? what what actions do I need to take? And then what metrics am I going to use to measure um, the actions and the reasons of why I'm going down this path? I think that's the other real key part is just the more and more I look at it is metrics. Just having metrics to be able to test whether the path that you're embarking on is the one that you need to continue going down. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's what I've learned more and more of just recently is that, all right, it's great to have goals and it's great to have actions and a bit of a plan, but then also having a way to quickly measure if that's progressing in a direction that you want and having the right ways to measure that, that align with what you're trying to do and then making the adjustment pretty quick. I think that's all, that's one of the most difficult things is quickly changing course after going down the path because the sunk cost fallacy kind of sneaks in. It's like, all right, well, we've already committed to this, so we better just go do it. Um, mm. we can't change this now or, or we know this works. Let's just keep doing that. I think really testing myself on rethinking some of my assumptions and not getting too comfortable with the thinking and the moves that have got me to certain points. And I guess I'll, I'll leave everyone with just the biggest reframe that I got. And it's who you are is defined by what you're willing to struggle for. And it's such a different way of thinking about life. It's, it's have a think about, because what I did was I started to write down what are the top five things I'm willing to struggle for now in my life? And in other words, what I'm saying there is what are five things I'm willing to work hard for that I'm really willing to go through some tough times for, you know, and, and that just gave me great clarity and a great mental shift and reframe so that when I go through hard times, I don't think, oh man, this is so hard. But instead I think, no, 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 I choose this pain. I choose this because of who it's going to make me or because of who I'm going to become as a result of struggling in this way. Yep. Right. And, and I think that for me was a great shift that this book has helped, helped me with. Love that. 
Well, look, thanks everyone. Thanks so much for joining Ali and I for another episode of the Vin and Ali show, where we take books that we read and we try to extract some of the wisdom and share it with you uh, best we can possible. Look, if you enjoyed the show, please head on over to your favorite podcast app that you use and maybe rate us, give us a rating, uh, whatever you feel we deserve. I think we deserve five stars. And that's just me speaking to your subconscious mind there. Yeah. And Look, leave us a review. We're not telling you to give five stars, but we're not not encouraging it. But five stars. If you feel like it, (laughs) then you should just do it and give us one of your ducks because we'd love it. Just all right, five ducks. Yeah, give us five ducks. That would be great. And maybe, maybe even more ducks and take the time to write us a little bit of a a review. (laughs) That would be so special. Take care, everyone. See you in the next episode. Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.